Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. And this is Paul. Hello and welcome to the TriTac Podcast, your podcast for yanking other people's adventures for Fringeworthy and trying to make them work. Tonight I'm running the show. I've I've hijacked it from Bruce because our comrade is in Russia. This our comrade, he's in Mother Russia. <laughs> So uh, we decided that this week we are going to discuss remixing other adventures for Fringeworthy. So we're not going to get into depth on how to run an adventure in other settings. Uh, This is mostly how to hook your adventurers into those settings, uh, and especially for difficult settings. So if you've got, like, for example, an AD&D module that you have sitting on your shelf that you haven't used in forever and your players are kind of chomping at the bits to get into um, some kind of melee or fantasy adventuring, you can pull out one of your AD&D modules and we're going to tell you how to use that for Fringeworthy and how to, how to get the players into that. Not just AD&D, of course. We're going to be doing all kinds. Each one of us has, has talked about different kinds of uh, genres and such. I guess the first thing we need to, to talk about is, is the problems of of using a module written for another system. And it may seem obvious, but I'd like to go over it anyway, just in case we hit on some things that you might not have thought about. So, uh, John, I think I'll start with you. Uh, If we are playing Fringeworthy, I-debt characters, and you go to some other crazy setting, something that is is not readily accessible to an I-debt type uh, party, what do you think the problems are that you're going to run into? What what barriers are you going to run into that are going to keep players from having an easy integration? I mean, the biggest ones are always going to be culture. I mean, if you're going to some place really odd, your character's going to stick like a sore thumb. You may have to maroon your players there for a while. Because otherwise, it's, oh my god, it's way too weird. Back to the portal, we're leaving this place. You may have to find some way of getting them away from the portal and preventing them just running back through when things get too weird sometimes. Right. You know, one of the things I was thinking of uh, when I was thinking about this whole discussion uh, and the the problem you run into with this is that you've got these IDEC guys. They're modern guys. Yep. With our sensibilities, you know, our values and stuff. And they wind up in some weird world and they don't have any motivation to to participate. You know, they're not part of that world. So it's hard to get them in on the cause. You know, some kind of like, you know, the king has a quest. You know, I don't care. He's not my king. I don't do kings. That kind of thought process. And and besides, we're, you know, we're beholden to Idet. You know, what are we going to do with this gold and stuff? And he gives us a magic sword. I mean, maybe that won't work on the node that we're going to go to when we go back. So that was the big problem is getting buy-in, you know, getting the players to like, care about what the adventure is because generally you know dnd modules for example i'm just i'm just gonna use dnd as sort of our go-to because it's kind of uh, an easy one to go to constantly and most people are, ex- are experienced with that but you know most dnd modules are set up you know as if you're playing in dnd as if you're playing you know f- fighters and magic users and, and literally usually 
uh, I know a lot of people don't like to admit this, but you're generally playing a, a homicidal party of bandits who basically just roam the countryside and kill everything and take their stuff. That's not what IDET's about, but that's what most dungeon crawls are about. You know, go into the dungeon, kill all the creatures, take all their stuff, and come home and, yay, look at us. But IDET's not about that. So how do you get IDET players to go into a dungeon? You know, I mean, that, and that's our barrier. You need a white rabbit to drag, drag them in. An NPC, or a, there's some MacGuffin that they're going to need to go after. Like, oh, well, there's a family amulet that we have that was lost in there. Or a sword, which is an heirloom. Or, of course, the captured PC. Oh, you know, this right. orc tribe went and took my daughter. You know? Or, as, as Paul mentioned in the comments, time dilation portal. But you're on a prime world, and you find out, well, there were stories of a ring, uh, some sort of ring-like thing. Mummy, mummy, distance away, you can probably go there. So you end up you know, giving them a reason to go someplace else. I don't know if this has ever been mentioned. Could have flown a ring? I mean, I guess you could... Anything could happen, but have we included in the book anywhere a one-way ring, like a ring that you can only go, like say on a prime that you can only go through? O- only on uh, pocket worlds, uh, pocket stuff. We see that you have you have an entrance ring and you have an exit ring, and they're at opposite opposite ends of of the uh, world. Hey, John. There's one Termelon world outlined in the portals book that has rings on a prime beyond the eight. Yeah. So when you step through. A Nexus world. So there's portals within portals on that world. So you could step through onto the Prime and go, hey, look, in the ring. You step through it, and then that ring is a one-way. Hmm. That could be. What ring? What world is that, Paul? Oh, gosh. It's it's way out there. It's either like negative 45 or positive 45. It's out toward the end. So it's supposed to be years late, maybe middle campaign. First book. Okay. So, hey, Amber. Uh, you know, I know you don't have a whole lot of time in, in, in the DMing arena. I don't think you've, you've you've never jammed a game, have you? I've jammed a few, yeah. Not very well, but... Oh, have you really? Okay, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. So uh, what do you think of this? Because I, I, I definitely want to get your buy-in on this. Um, we're mainly talking about pre-printed modules. You know, this isn't something that the game master has written. He's taken something he's bought f- off the shelf... He's got this this module sitting in front of him that was not written for Fringeworthy characters at all. And we got to figure out how to retweak the story. Is there anything you can think of that we haven't mentioned so far that, that would um, be like a barrier to, to entry, something you'd have to overcome? I suppose the only thing that I could really think of would be a damaged fringe portal. I think it might be something of a complication if... What if it's one way only like once you go into the world you can't really come back you mean the time transfer like it's only open for a certain amount of time then it's closed it might be open for one hour and closed for like 36 yeah there are those type of portals yeah yeah well not even so much like that but i mean more once you step through this you need to be prepared that there's a good standing chance you're not walking back through it there's no reason why this couldn't be. I don't know if, if we've written that up yet. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I should know this, but I don't. I'm sorry. If you go through a portal, can it do damage to you? Well, yeah. Look at the Rabina Sansi portal. Oh, yeah. Prime. Okay. If you're lucky, you don't go. You, you don't go through. You just catch fire and fall on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there some sort of rule that says that only uh, organic or living things can go through it? No. 
No, anything can go through. I mean, if only organic goes, th- you go through your polyester, you'd be n- buck naked on the other side. Imagine the party goes to the portal, and they're all damaged to the point of unconsciousness, and they wake up and they're in some town, in a jail cell. They don't know where they are, and the people there are going to assume that they know where they are because, you know, they're in this world and they're not going to assume that they've traveled from another dimension. So the party would then have to find the ring. They have to get all their escape, get all their stuff, find the ring, that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that, that would lead to the kind of thing where, like you were talking about, where that would be a one way to do the the one way journey because you'd have to, you'd have to find the ring. You're stuck. You just go back through it. The mind transfer. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, that's one of the... This way, it allows you to take a a module, the system, and you don't have to convert it. You just use it as is because the players aren't fringe anymore. They're of that world. Right, yeah. One of you appears in a fighter's body, another appears in a wizard's body, another appears in the bard's body. You hand out new character sheets. (laughs) It's like you know what you know, but that's your character. Yeah. (laughs) Which is cool. Which allows you then to, to railroad them into an adventure. <laughs> we, we talked about a bunch of settings, and I, I think we should just kind of get into that now because we're, we're hitting the generalizations, but I'd like to see how we can apply these now. Um, who wants to go first? It's from the Space 1889 game, the original game, not the new release one, uh, Red Sands. But because there is at least two, at least two books out there, one for OGL, uh, Mars... And there's, of course, Space 1889, Red Sands. Uh, it's easy to convert if you, want to, if, you, if you don't want to do a mind transfer on the players. But it's called The Canal Priest of Mars. It's written by Marcus Rowland uh, uh, of the of Forgotten Futures fame. And a lot of his stuff is great. It would be great world books just to use as well in his other games. But this one basically is... It, 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 I can see the players being pulled in because... It's the world where you can go to Mars, and there's Martians. It starts on Earth, and I would, I would make this a prime world. That way you know you can get back, because there's probably a Mars portal. But you can get them involved in this little campaign. It's uh, How many pages is it? It's about uh, 88 pages, but it's, it's, it's this interesting little campaign of mistaken identities, uh, cultists, canal priests, sky galleons... What person wouldn't want to play in that? <laughs> Who's that done by? Marcus L. Uh, Rowland. He's a British game designer. He's been doing it for years. He's, his game he puts out is called Forgotten Futures. This is his main game. He also does uh, uh, a couple others. Flatland. Wait, was it, but that wasn't the Savage Worlds one. No, no. But, like I said, there is a Savage Worlds book. Right. Put out recently. Recently, they put out a uh, a, a Savage Worlds book, and guess what? They has Canal Priest in it. Yeah, but that one. You know what? That one's not great. Well, why do you say that? It's a, well, it's okay. I mean, it, it's all right. I I wasn't overly impressed with it. Which one? Savage, oh, the Savage Worlds. Oh, the mean yeah. the, the Savage Worlds edition. Yes. Frank Chadwick has been redesigning and retooling, and yeah, the book's kind of plain Jane. But you know, if you own like me, own all the all the uh, modules and adventures. I'm just fine. I can I can completely ignore what's in the Red Sands book and use what use the good old stuff. Right. It works just fine. It, it's not broken. It still works. So John, you're you're on Mars. And I mean, and honestly, if you're an Edgar Rice Burroughs fan, you could tweak it to that and just have it to be Barsoom. They can't, of course, because of rights and stuff like that. But you could, as you know, because it's your game. In that case, you buy you get Mars. 
the uh, either the OGL or Severus Worlds version. They've taken all the public domain stuff and made a game and made rules for it. Oh, that's the one I was talking about that I didn't care for. I didn't care for the Savage Worlds Mars book. Yeah, I mean, it's basically that. That's the one where it, it, it's it's all the public domain stuff that was available that they used and did conversions to. So let me ask you this then: So the Red Sands is different. That's got different stuff in it. It's his own plot points in it, but uh, but I would I wouldn't use that. I wouldn't use it for its own plot points. I'd use it for uh, providing the, basically the Martians and the Martian creatures and rules and various things. How would you get people to get their characters to buy into that world? I mean, what would you do to get IDET characters to want to participate and do stuff that you needed them to do? It's an IDET mixed team. There basically is IDET and there's Taze on there. Hey, you got some Victorians on another Victorian world. Paul, wouldn't your character love to find out how this world's different from your from your world? Oh, they'd be all over it. <laughs> yeah. So you can easily have people who want to get and find out, you know, okay, how's this world different? The other part of the people all over it is they'd want to prove how it was wrong. Yeah, they're Victorians, by the way. And, and depending on whether which adventures you've you 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 have and, and you've played, uh, Queen Victoria could either be you know in her nineties or she could be a thirty year old woman. Um, and I won't tell you why that's that's possible, but it's it's, it's part of an adventure. <laughs> There'd be a lot of things similar because they did take a lot of similar uh, t- texts. There is the Lost World. You will find dinosaurs on Earth as well, just like you would on Victorian Earth. So there's a lot of crossover there. So, John, would you say that that the best way, if you really wanted to get buy-in from the party, is wait until somebody's playing a Victorian or or send them to the Victorian world first and maybe get them interested in that world? Get Like, um, which one is that negative? Uh, it's negative two. Negative two. Negative two, okay. Yeah. Get, get them into negative two. Maybe send them on the, the, the plot point that you've run. Mm-hmm. Heck, maybe... If you really want to do that, have them go there first, and for some reason, maybe they want to go to that world. Well, actually, one of the reasons I came up with, like with Paul's character, he's basically a liaison. They said that you know that basically they needed to have a liaison with IDA. Okay. Well, I'm saying maybe they go to the Victorian Earth first, and they get some kind of buy-in there, and maybe for some reason. Uh, the Victorians have been to the Red Sands world, and they want the party to go there. They want Idet to help them with something there. Yeah, that could be also a later thing too. The, the Victorians is sure. Well, we kind of have that with the Victorians and Slave America, because Idet doesn't know how to act or dress, so the Victorians are supplying the clothes and period correct stuff, so they don't stand out. When you look at the Victorian Earth, Venus has a sw- swamps and dinosaurs. You go to Mars, they found ruins. You could, if you wanted to, let's say you've got the red sand stuff, and you're like, oh, man, I really like this, I really love it. But, you know, of course, uh, as fringeworthy developers and stuff, we can't include that because it's somebody else's property. Yeah. But what you could do is you, being that the Victorian world is on the prime. Well, well no, I, I, I'm not a developer. I'm playing this as a GM. As a GM, I can do whatever I want. Oh, oh. Oh, no, no. The, yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's what I'm saying. As a developer, we cannot put Red Sands in Fringeworthy, but you as a GM can. And you can replace any world that we've specified because this is your game. You bought it. You can do what you want with it. Yeah. But what I'm thinking is, is that you got the Victorian world on Prime. You put Red Sands on Mars and they go there through the system. And you could set this adventure up very easy. Maybe a communication is established because Victoria, you know, we're doing the Victorian world as if it's kind of steampunkish, right? Yeah. Let's say 
uh, you know, uh, some steampunky guy makes uh, some kind of communication device and he winds up talking to the guys on Mars and they invite you to come out. And then the Victorians are like, hey, I bet you've got a lot of experience dealing with. Sadly, the Martians aren't that advanced, or at least no longer they're advanced that, that much. Depends on the type of Martians. I have the OGL Mars books that you referred to. Yeah. By, I believe, Adamant Entertainment did him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I yep. have all OGL stuff from them before they went straight Savage Worlds. Yeah, they have some advanced technology, but it's a regressing culture. Since 1889, there is no uh, you know, te- wireless telegraph. Right. But that's where you say somebody has invented – this is the adventure, you know. Someone has invented this f- listening device, and they're picking up signals from Mars. Uh, but, 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 but they were straying now because we were talking about running modules. This is the Canal Priest of Mars, which actually starts in London, England. Oh, does it? Okay. And it, yeah, it starts in London, England. Then, then there's – and then, of course, it's nonstop action all the way there, even when you take the trip to, to Mars and board a, uh, a, 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 a liner – so, so what you're saying is, is that's what you do. You start them there in London. Yep. They meet some Martians. Oh, okay. Well, sweet. Okay, that works out great. Yeah, they meet some Martians, and you know, part of the thing is there's a mistaken identity, mm-hmm. and if there's, there's a Victorian in the group, he's probably the one who's going to get picked to be the mistaken identity at this point. All right. So that's perfect. So, so all right. So we want to use that. Basically, we just say you go to Victorian. You go to you go to negative two. You go to Victorian Earth for a diplomatic mission or something like that for some reason for IDET, and you get sucked into this venture, and next thing you know, you're on Mars. Yeah, if you want to do it, do it that way, if you want to put Mars, put Mar- if you want to actually change it to Space 89 Mars, or if you want, or it could be it's later on, right? You know, say say you know it's ten years down the road, and then you find this world, you know, and you want to investigate, and you definitely want to investigate because it's another Victorian world with science and technology, weird science and weird technology, and you want to know if the if the Victorians weird science technology works here too, or you could just change one of the alternates to the Victorian if you wanted to. Yeah, actually, I would make this a prime world because I love the idea that you know you can go from the prime to Mars and get back in the fringe paths. You might just want to modify the Victorian then to fit your your scheme. Whatever you want to do is. I hate to say this. There's plenty of rules in the you know in the, in the portal guide that you go and look and say what the hey and just pff, here it is Victoria Space Eighty Nine's on this world. Bang, there's the other one. Oh good. Okay, so we're on the same page as that with the with the portals book. I go like yeah, I don't really like what Richard did here. I'll just change this to this world. It's a suggestion. Right. <laughs> when you hit plus six or minus six, that's pretty much where we're going to stop everything else. You can do it. Do what you want. Uh, uh, Trav, I bet you do a lot of that. About uh, a lot of what? Like with the portals books and stuff. I don't. Do you have those? Yeah, I've printed out all portals one, two, and three. I have them in a big blue binder. Right. You, you modify those at will, right? Well, yeah. I've actually <laughs> dumped game settings into... I'll, I've read the you know the main blurbs for the Prime, and I go, well, oh my god, this is like Greyhawk, or oh my god, this is like the Forgotten Realms, or the Pathfinder World, or uh, as I mentioned to you in our Facebook comments, I made negative one twenty five Prime Robotech Earth early Invid invasion. So yeah, I've I've modified worlds and just dumped the settings into them because I read them and they're like, oh heck, this is close enough. Boom, close enough, right? I'll- yeah, and and you kill any alternates or or system that you have to. Well, no, I've changed. I keep the alternates. I just find ones that 
are particular to a particular setting, and I'll just say, okay, well, this one is this setting. I mean, it, most yeah. of them are prime, some are alternates, though, but I haven't changed any of them. No, the alternates, in, in my, I keep them as is. Nah, me, me, I, I change. I'll change because I look and say, ah, that's too soon, or... Because remember, when I first started playing, we didn't have the portal books, so I made I made up everything. So nothing that Richard actually ever uh, put out afterwards matched what matched what I had. So uh, you know, I, I look at his as suggestions rather than as uh, hard and fast uh, hard and fast rules. <laughs> I'm really more in favor of a portal book where you just have the primes and the the alternates are sort of a role for characteristics. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the last Portals book was like that. Last Portals book was just the primes, basically. No, Portal, no, no. Portals 3 had alternates, but remember, um, Rich did it more as Jack Schmidt's notes than in Portals 1 or 2. He yeah. did it as if it's just this, yeah, food reporter from a Chicago paper all of a sudden <laughs> is fringeworthy and he's scribbling notes down. That's what Portals 3 was. Yeah, and, and, and they're not tied to an actual address. Well, yeah, you had to figure out that... Well, because Rich told me that... Let's see, let me get to... The first world basically is uh, positive 126. Yeah. And then it goes to positive 200. That's yeah. He told me that. Well, he told me different, so... He told me different, so... Well, <laughs> this before his allocated beer or not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because when I printed them all out, yeah, and I, I said, where are these portals at? And he said, well, these are after positive 125. And I said, all the way to positive 200? Oh, okay, cool. So yeah. that's what he told me. Yeah, yeah and he told you he decided not to actually fix them to anything. And they were basically, you can put them where you want to. So He also revealed to me that Jack Schmidt was based on me because of the teenage daughter, Shelly, and the ex-wife. So <laughs> You're famous. Not Portals 3 is based on... The character in Portals 3 is based on Trav, Rich Taholka himself told me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you know what? Let me go next. Um, sure. What you got? I double dog dare you. Okay. I'm going to do my AD&D. I love the, the Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. It's oh, yeah. I love that one, too. Yeah. Favorite module of all time. I was doing a convention, doing one this summer. All the adventures that I do for conventions, I basically save them into a, a thing so I can run them later. And I'm sick of all the ones that I've run, so I want to do some new ones. I pulled out Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, and I was like, God, I would love to run this as a fringeworthy adventure. I'd love to, I'd love to repurpose this, remix it. I have the old one, but it's all marked up and screwed up. And so I got online and, and I found Dungeons of Dread, where they're starting to reprint the old school stuff. So I've got a it's a hardbound edition of that whole series which is the uh S series. So it's S1 through 4. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember it's like the Lost Caverns of Sojanth and all that. Yeah, and uh White Plume Mountain and Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, I remember that. So Ex- Expedition of Barrier Peaks, that that's the one I like. And I thought, you know, this would be great for Fringeworthy because the the deal being is that it's a fantasy world with a crashed spaceship. And I'm thinking, how cool is that? The Fringeworthy, you know, modern era guys, Fringeworthy guys, they go into a world and they, they're doing their first contact and all that stuff. And they overhear a rumor. This is my premise. They overhear a rumor that there's this weird stuff and it sounds like technology to them. And, you know, in, in talking with the natives there, it sounds like a spaceship. So 
the first contact team comes back and tells Idet, and this is this is how I, I link them into the adventure. Hey, we actually found a spaceship crashed in a fantasy world. You know that means that the that the, the fantasy guys, you know, they haven't figured this out yet. So it's probably not plundered, and it sounds like this thing's been sitting there for a while. Maybe we could go in there and get some future technology that hasn't been, you know, messed with. And what you don't realize, it's the it's the uh, was it the Metamorphosis Alpha spaceship. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. Yep, yep. So that's my hook. That's how I get the Fringeworthy players in. It has nothing to do with, you know, the king has been seeing weird things in the woods. None of that. The Fringeworthy team is on their own going there. No one's hired them or tried, you know, I've skipped that whole part of the adventure. The idea is to recover advanced technology. And that's how I'm going to get the Fringeworthy team in there. And I cannot wait to see what happens when Full Auto meets Veggie Pygmies. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> this should be a lot of fun. <laughs> Puree. Yeah. What I have to do, well, that's the beauty of it because they're going to go in there with their weapons and they're going to think, yeah, we're going to kick butt. Ooh. Jiu-jitsu. Ooh. That's a cute little rabbit you got there. <laughs> that jujitsu robot has eaten like three or four parties. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're going to go in there and they're going to think that, hey, we've got automatic weapons and grenades and stuff and we're just going to kick some butt, right? Until the hordes of Vegapygmies come out and eat up most of their ammo. And don't forget the high-tech mind flayers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this should be really interesting. I'm I'm kind of I'm sort of hoping for my first TPK. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I've never done that at a convention, so I'm I'm kind of hoping that maybe it goes that way cuz then that way I can claim that I've done one. But but this should be a lot of fun. I love the big shiny red button down there in the animal hold. Right. So that's I mean that's now that's an interesting D&D AD&D module. Uh another one uh, I'm gonna uh, talk about is the um, the one that Nick Palmer did. Now he he was on our show. I can't remember how many episodes ago, but we were talking about his module caravan and was talking about you know Fringeworthy in the playing in the Mesopotamian uh, era, you know ancient Sum- Sumeria and Ur. And so I was reading through that module because I, I went ahead and bought that. And according to that, you know the party's hired to deliver hired onto this caravan to deliver some stuff to another city. And I was trying to think, why would Fringeworthy players do that? There's no, there's really no reason for that. So one of the options in that module that that he was talking about was is that in the he was giving different timeline type stuff, and he was saying that at some point in the future, the Assyrians, the next town over, the one that you're you're traveling to, is going to take over that whole region. So I'm setting it in that time zone. I'm assuming that the Syri- the Assyrians have taken it over, and that. Idet wants to set up a um, a home base here. They want to set up a, a, a what would you call it a um, a base station? Yeah. And the first contact team has already gone there and talking to the person. The portal is in Ur, and they've already come out and they're talking to the people, the the leader in Ur, and he's you know he's agreed to give Idet work with Idet and give them a home station. However, they have to go talk to the regent, the guy. In a, the next city over, Acadia or something like that, the party has to go there to talk to them to negotiate it, and that's the mission because the, the module is basically about the caravan trip. All the adventure happens along that trip. So that was my hook. The party needs to go talk to the leader to set up this base to negotiate the deal for a base camp for Idet so for future explorers. So that's how I pull Idet into this and make them um, 
get involved with this, you know, ancient Sumerian culture. Plus, it gives a really good, uh, good chance for people to play academic type characters because you know there'll be all this ancient type history type stuff, and um, I, I think that one's going to be interesting too. That's a good venture for your non-combat players to step up and get some spotlight time too. Right, right, and that's kind of what I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. There is some combat for the people who come to play combat because again I'm doing this at a convention, but there's also going to be there's there's several places where the players can actually uh, there's like a ziggurat being uh, a ziggurat ruin that they can explore along the way. This is a sort of venture where you get to bring fringeworthy characters and Bureau Thirteen characters together for a unique situation. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you could because it is set in a D and D setting like a, a a fantasy setting right so you know they the fringe where they goes to bureau 13 to get some subject matter experts right yeah oh, that would be good mm-hmm. yeah you get to go to another world again right. <laughs> <laughs> this is agent smith we're sending agent smith on this by the way what phase of the moon is that world in currently <laughs> right so you know trav you had a good one yeah um, I have currently all of the new Robotech books from Palladium, including the recent Genesis Pit source book. And I've been a big fan of the Robotech setting, even in the old Palladium books incarnation, where it had like 15 or 16 books. And this Robotech game is based on the recent Shadow Chronicles animated movie that came out, I believe, in 09. So you have, that is the base game. Then Macross, Southern Cross, New Generation, and now the Genesis Pit Sourcebook. Now, in my personal Fringeworthy Meta campaign, I put the Robotech world on negative 125, the Coptic Tech Slave Mine world. And basically, the Coptics are trying, they're, they're, they're trying to look for robotechnology. Now, the thing I have is that it's early infant invasion. So you have people with Korean War era technology fighting the invid to try to snag protoculture to gain a new power source. Because <laughs> Not for long. Here's the thing. I discussed using protoculture on the fringe paths with Oh yeah. I asked him this and he said, Well, the organic power source would not be depleted, but it still cannot be run on the fringe paths due to the, the draining. But once you get it off the fringe paths, there's no recharge. It's ready to go. So if the Coptics were well, to get out the protoculture, they would jump probably about three tech levels. Here's a question you got to ask of, of Rich. On the fringe path, does protoculture still have its sort of man-machine interface where it makes operation flawless as if a machine were an extension of your own body instead of slamming around 27 letters, kicking three three foot pedals and and jumping up and down in your seat as it would be in real life you still can't run a protoculture run device on the fringe paths unless it is total organic biotech you can put a protoculture cell or have a protoculture reactor in a mecca but because the electricity the bioelectricity that's formed is still running through electronics it still will not run not the case of the Invid. Well, the Invid, they're really not... Their machines are all biomechanical. Yeah, they're they're organic tech. They were made by the region and the regis. So yeah, the Invid, 
if they if if an infant were to become fringe worthy or like an infant prince or princess were to get one of their uh, battleoids out under the fringe pads, oh that like you know uh, oh god, Sarah or Korg, if you're familiar with them from uh, Infant Invasion, and they were to get out on the fringe pads with a battleoid, oh that would not be pretty, not in any way shape or form. Meller Meller Invid on the oh sorry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think the Miller would be able to absorb the little invid slugs that are in like the shock troopers. Now the stage four and the stage fives, the ones that look totally human and the stage fours that can survive out of the invid mecha because stage one, two and three, they're fused, they're mecha. You can't, you get them out. They're going to die because they're in that nutrient bath. That's in the cockpit. Chaff. Yes. Those stage one, two, and three invid are really no evolutionary step above least and lesser Miller. Well, yeah, basically that's what they are. They were they're made specifically to just work those low level invid mechs. So, what's a master Miller to do if it doesn't just create some least and lesser Miller and shove them into a invid mech? Uh, that would depend on the compatibility with the Melor and the Mellor would still have to fuse with some type of Invid to gain knowledge how to pilot it. Because I think it's all, I don't think there's controls. They just, you know, they sit there and... They are the mecha. Well, yeah, essentially, stage one, two, and three Invid are, they're fused with their mecha immediately. When the Regis creates them at will, boom. Invid and mecha are there. They're created at the moment. Invid are psionic, therefore they don't have to to drive the mecha. They just think about what it needs to do and it does it. Right, exactly. See, Robotech has three distinct eras. Macross, which is, well, actually around this time, around the 20-teens. Mid-2020s, which is Southern Cross, and then 2030 on to like 2045, which is the Invid Invasion Shadow Chronicles era. Now, during all three of those times, Earth is already a post-apocalyptic rebuilding society because after Macross... The Zentradi have destroyed 70% of the world's surface. Then with Southern Cross, yeah, society is rebuilt, but at the end of Southern Cross, there's more damage. And then the Invid come a year later. And then during Invid Invasion, the Earth, except for remnants of robotechnology, is basically, I would think, early 20th century at the most level technology. So we're talking very late PL4 not a lot of high ind- all high industry is gone. If you have a vehicle, nine times out of ten, it's something that's been patched together from maybe two or three. And so as soon as the IDET explorers get to this world, depending on it, it depends on what era you want them to come in. Now, as I said, for my own campaign, it's the first couple years into Invid Invasion. It's where it's 2032, I believe I have it at. The Invid have been there for about a year. The Hives have been set up. And so if the characters, if I throw a bunch of fringe-worthy characters, and of course, negative 125, that's late campaign. You're not going to get out there anytime before late campaign fringe-worthy canon. Let's say I make IDET characters in the Palladium stats. Let's say I find whatever other Palladium books and decide to make them IDET that way, whatever classes, like Heroes Unlimited or Ninjas and Super Spies or whatever. And I throw them an Invid world. Well, if you know the Palladium rules, it's the whole mega damage thing. So you have people with n- normal firearms 
And all of a sudden, they're realizing that even Invid in just personal body armor, like a Stage 4, their bullets are bouncing off, and the Invid fires its weapon, and it literally blows a tree in two. First of all, they're going to be severely outgunned, so it's going to be a lot of guerrilla warfare getting in there. Anyways, getting them into this world and keeping them there, in that case, I would have to say uh, they're just looking for stuff to survive. They get, Let's say they get separated from the portal. Let's say they start exploring and they come up against even, you know, human bandits that have this this weaponry. They're going to need to find a way in order to survive until they can get back to the portal. And they're seeing that they got their, their you know, oh, we have M16s and we got, you know, H&Ks and Kevlar body armor and all this. And these weapons have basically taken down, you know, 500 feet of forest. <laughs> and there's no trees left. So... Usually it's going to be a matter of survival in the Robotech world, and I mean in any of the three settings, because of the fact that each of the settings are sort of post-apocalyptic. Each setting, Earth is recovering from an alien invasion. So you're basically just looking to survive. Now, I, as I said, negative 125, let's see, ruins of Boston, ruins of the airport in Minsk, Bremen, Germany, Nevada Desert, Korean Fishing Village, Vietnam Highlands, Chilean seacoasts and Cleveland ruins. Yeah, pretty much these were all right because most of North America is in ruins by the time that the Macross setting comes into play, which is, is about modern day, about now, 2013. It's um, Macross, the Zentari Reign of Death. Right, yeah, where Dolza rained down his armada and 70% of Earth's surface area was gone. The Most of the tech centers of North America the Northeast, the West Coast, some of the Gulf Coast is just gone. So, like the Zentradi Protectorate, the Arkansas Protectorate is set up. Um, Calgary is the new capital for the United Earth Government. The project for the SDF-3 is starting, and they're starting to build that. The Southern Cross Armies are, um, oh God, what is it down South America? The Malcontent Uprisings. Those are forming down in the South American sector. Brazilian Grand Canyon. Yeah, the Alaskan Grand Canyon was, you know, well, no, that was destroyed in Macross. Uh, oh, get this. Now in the new Genesis Pit source book, a Genesis Pit was made there. <laughs> As I said, I just got this book and and I got it from... because hey, Trav? Know, yeah. For people who don't know, maybe you want to explain them what a Genesis Pit is. People who are unfamiliar with Robotech. Yeah, the, the reason why I picked Palladium is because I basically... Eat, live, well, breathe it. Eighty percent of Palladium <laughs> stuff, and I, I, I live literally nine minutes from Palladium's headquarters in Westland. So, um, a Genesis pit was made by the Invid Regis and Regent, the female and male rulers of the Invid, respectively, to try to find new evolutionary forms to adapt to, because their home planet Optera was defoliated when the Robotech Masters took all the flowers of life and the protoculture seeds from which the flowers of life grow. So as the Invids spread their empire while they're fighting with the Robotech Masters on various worlds, including Earth when they got there, they made these Genesis pits, which were basically biotech labs, to work on new forms. Uh, and they're often dinosaurs, and they'll capture humans and mutate them or use Invid biomechanics on them or mutate the current life forms to see. And they were. They were basically just underground experimental areas. Well, I was going to say, because it fits with Regis's ultimate plan, which is? The ultimate evolutionary form for them to survive. 
Yep. Now, the regent would just want to make war. He was just, you know, stomping around and just wanted to make war for war's sake to conquer. The regis had a higher purpose, which was the perfect evolutionary life form for her race to take on. But yeah, the characters most likely in the post-apocalyptic settings, Macross, Southern Cross, and Invent Invasion slash Shadow Chronicles, would be for them basically to survive. Once they get away from the portal and start exploring, and they run across either human bandits or enemies of one of the three alien races that have invaded Earth, that would be the 50-foot-tall Zentradi, their creators, the Tyrolians or the Robotech Masters, and then the hated foe of the Robotech Masters, the Invid, which if you don't know what an Invid is, imagine a 25, 30-foot-tall mecha, sort of purple and crab-like with like a little slug inside that runs the thing. <clears throat> and they're bathed in basically the juices made from pulp from the flower life, which they use as metaphysical and physical nourishment. The Robotech Masters stole it and used it as a bioelectric power source. From which they made their empire. So, Trav, the the your IDET team arrives there, right? Yeah. What do they do? Most likely, depending on the setting, they're probably going to run into some enemy with vastly superior weaponry because in the Palladium setting, they have its mega damage capacity, which basically its one shot is 100 hit points or structural damage capacity. So, most likely. As these guys are getting fired upon by, as I said, human bandits or the Zentradi or Tyrolean Robotech Master or even Invid, and a tree gets blown apart, they're going to realize, <clears throat> excuse me, we can't make it back to a portal. We're going to need to survive. We're going to need to get some of this new weaponry, which means it's tech that they can bring back to IDET once they get to the portal. Okay, so you're, you're putting them on a tech-finding mission. That you're going to put them there, make it hard for them to get back to the portal for some reason. Like, they've they've traveled... They've traveled a long distance to find this place, maybe? Well, yeah, as I said, in my in my mandate campaign, it's positive 125 prime. So it's going to be late campaign anyways. I mean, you can drop it, you know, your own campaign. You can drop it wherever. That's just where I have mine. So, yeah, it's going to be a tech-finding campaign, mainly because they're going to see the damage potential of these weapons. And then when they find Mecha, and they start taking apart and realize, wait a minute, this is a power source that it, once we get it on the fringe paths... The protoculture depends on weird, on uh, different science, different physics, and that means it pretty much only works on that node. John, why are you saying that? Because I've never, I've never taken that into consideration. But protoculture is um, Japanese animation. I think it'll be up to GM how how portable he wants to make it because it is a, it, it could be a game breaker. It could be because yeah. the mega damage capacity. Well, they did make SDC Macross SDC laser weapons mm-hmm. i mean you still couldn't use them on the fringe paths because it was still hard tech that the the protoculture was put into so trav there's your adventure spin right there instead of a, a tech finding mission which occurs a lot a lot a lot a lot instead you have sort of an old-fashioned oss cia mission where your job is to go in there and convince the coptics by way of sabotage, subterfuge, and that they come to this world and and you've convinced the Coptics that this stuff's useless and doesn't work. So instead of going back to find it, bring it back to IDET, get patted on the head and sent back out again, your job is to go out to the Robotech node, infiltrate the 
Robotech node poses people who belong in the Robotech world, intercept the Coptics, and give them a red herring. That's your mission. Yeah, remember, we've de- all determined, and with my conversations with Rich, the Coptics are at, and they're in portals too anyways. I mean, you can look and they see they have Korean War era technology, so late 40s, early 50s, mid 50s at the most. And Paul and I have discussed this on Facebook about the level of tech and the things that they have. 1960s technology, they're not that impressive. Not even for year five IDET. Unless there's a horde of the Coptic coming, unless the unless for some reason the Coptics have a higher rate of fringeworthiness and there's just two dozen of them for every one IDET player coming down the path. 1960s technology versus 2010, 1990s technology, they're going to get their lunch eaten. Then the IDET would have to really be good at convincing the Coptics you take that stuff through the portal. Yeah, you're seeing what damage it does here. You take it through the portal, and you're going to end up with dead tech. And it would be, because if the Coptics were to get their hands on protoculture and advance their war machine from Korean-level technology, which is early... Well, I go by the D20 parlance because I'm the resident D20 junkie here. They're going from early PL5... Let's see, I would say robotechnology would be PL7. So with the use of protoculture and the integrate into their war machine, they're jumping two tech levels, which is a tech level, of, probably about a tech level above, well, no, late campaign. I would say late campaign, IDED has become PL7. If you read the stories like the powers, it would bring the Coptics on, te- on par technologically, but they would still be outnumbered by IDED and the alien core. But still, the Coptics would walk over a lot of worlds if they were to get their hands on robotechnology. Yeah. Well, the Coptics don't sound like they're bothered by press-ganging people anyway. Oh, no. Well, the whole thing with the Coptics, pretty much it's like, okay, if you are not of our world, you are slave labor. If not, you are cannon fodder. That is pretty much the, the mindset of the Coptics from what I've read and how I run them in my various campaigns. Mm-hmm. And my fellow... DJ on Dementia Radio, Breakman Z, a couple years ago, I ran a Coptic who had a cyclone, and he came to negative 124, where the campaign setting is, the Metro Ambush world, and he's, they have their own IDET there, but it's secret. And I cannot use the language here on this podcast, how he described how I run the Coptics. <laughs> huh. um, how can I put this as, as, as PC as possible? Illegitimate offspring of a female canines? Phalluses. And Paul remembers because he was in the chat room when he when, when Zeke typed that in the chat room. Oh. So, ideologically sound sociopathic SS believers. So, so I, want, I just want to say that if this is late campaign, and we were talking about how protoculture would only work on that node, well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, you're the game master. You can say, you could say that that's one of those things that works on most nodes, or maybe even if you, if Depending on how you want your campaign to go, you may say, "No, no, that's one of the universal technologies that works." It's ultrabellum technology. That's the what's we calling found. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That yeah, that would make total sense. It's a it's a tremellon plant that the tremellons were using for power, and these guys figured out how to use it. Well, the other thing is that uh, Macross era protoculture didn't power the machines; it just made the machines easy to operate. Right, they were still using um, hydrogen reactors and and vector turbines. And- oh, oh, in that case, uh, that, that, 
Natural Pro Culture, in that case, it's, it's almost very, very much at your own device because it allows you to hook up neurally to your to your device. Then it sounds like right. Your your machine basically understands what you want to do, and it does it. All right. So look, here, here's a really good hook. I mean, nothing wrong with the hooks we've already said, but there's another one I thought of. Okay. You know, the party goes there, and. It, it doesn't turn out to be a, a, a Robotech world. It doesn't seem like that. It just seems like a desolate, you know, like an apocalyptic world. And they travel to a town and they're hanging out, you know, nothing, nothing more than like a road warrior type of world. Talking with people and they keep hearing about them mention this protoculture stuff. And they're like, what, what are you talking? What is protoculture? So one of the, you know, they run into a guy and he, in the town and he starts telling them about this. And they're like, oh, we got to, we got to find some of this stuff. Right. And that's when you introduce the Mecca. Uh, you, some invid come in, you know, the party hides while the, the invid tear the out of everything. You know, the mission then could be either the party goes back and, and tells Idet about this protoculture stuff that they found, and then Idet sends them back out to get some, or at that point they make the decision, we got to bring some of this back because they're talking about biological energy or a biological interface with with machine. This is the kind of thing that Idet could really use because, I mean, we're, especially since we're talking about late campaign. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of ways to hook this in. I mean, when we talked about this earlier online, I was thinking, how the heck are you going to hook this in? I mean, IDET players are not, you know, they're not mecha pilots. They're not going to know how to fight mecha and, and, and do this kind of stuff. But uh, we're talking about a different kind of adventure altogether. We're just talking, you're not going to fight the invid. You're going to just try and get a sample of this protoculture and try to avoid any fighting. This is going to be like a spy mission. Well, yeah, it would have to be because... Let's say they see how the invid are. First of all, the invid, I think the, the, the shock troopers are like 15, 20 feet tall, and they get up to like 30 as the more advanced invid battleoids get going. Let's see they watch an invid patrol destroy a town, and I mean, they would. They would obliterate a town. I would know right there, okay, we stay away from them. We sneak around. We blend in. Yeah, it would have to be a spy mission because there's no way until IDET gets body armor and they they wouldn't stand a chance. It would be a TPK. You would just be sending them in against something which one invid could blow them away because their bullets would bounce off. And in order for them to learn how to pilot any of this mecha, it would still take weeks and it would just be basic moves you would have well in palladium they have the basic mecha combat that's all they would have now in d20 you can just sit there and say okay they have a feet and they know how to pilot and you don't have to worry about whether it's good or bad proficiency but if you were running this in the palladium rules in which robotech is set they would have basic mecha piloting because they would not have access to the full robotech defense force robotech expeditionary force training facilities like on the sdf3 or moon base so yeah, they'd know how to pilot the mecha if they had if you had to make this a long drawn out campaign arc, mm-hmm. but it would be basic mecha piloting. It would be somebody who found a mecha and just self taught them. Right. Plus, I mean, you could, you could also have you could have one of the players who knows how to ride a motorcycle get a hold of a cyclone. Right. I mean, he wouldn't be able to use it as the body armor, not very well. It'd be like Rand in the uh, the early Invid. Oh yeah, the original Invid series, but. He could ride that motorcycle back through the French path. And it'd still be on gasoline, yeah. You could run on either gasoline or protocol. Right. It's a hybrid vehicle. And then get that back to IDET, and then he could learn how to use the darn thing, and then come back and actually, you know, everybody could train on how to use this stuff, and then go back and help the rebels. 
<laughs> yeah, if if IDET doesn't find it and they pick it apart and they realize, ooh, a new bioelectric power source. Ooh, cool. Well, hold on. Well, maybe not. Maybe IDET would say, and and what? They had a bunch of these there? It's like, yeah, yeah, we could, we could probably get quite a few of these. It's like, okay, then we need to train up a team of you guys how to use these things so you can go back and steal a shipment of them. Yeah. That falls back to John, what John earlier said. What's allowed once you leave the node? you got to decide what level of science, because Robotech gives you things like laser-resistant ceramics, where you take half damage. It gives you transformational equipment. Your car turns into a robot. It gives you space fold. You can literally bend space by applying enough. And it gives you Lynn Minmay. By the time Minmay Vision comes along, she's out in space. You don't have to worry about her. But then again, I've seen this in the movies, and you know the power of of song and love is still a ma- major major force to reckon with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Give me the tech. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear the song "We Will Win." I had to hear that at the end of Shadow Chronicles when Janice sang it, and just yeah, whatever. Just no, no, no. I want, I want the. Yeah, that gives you fully integrated walking around AIs. You don't want preteen uh, J-pop singers destroy de- defeating your armies. No, no, no. I'm good, really. <laughs> That's part of the, of the of the series. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? Okay, so, yeah. What that alludes to is you, as the GM, really got to sit down and go, okay, I'm outlining this node, and I'm going to allow this magic. I'm going to allow this super science. I'm going to allow this level of psionics, so that your plot lines don't escape from you when players say, "What about this?" or "Can I have this?" or "What did I find?" Well, yeah, because like like um. Like Blix said, it would depend on the GM. Now, if you wanted to have robotechnology out on the fringe paths, first of all, if it is Invid Invasion, it's going to be hard as hell to get this stuff off the node just because as soon as you activate robotechnology, and I mean, we're even talking an energy weapon, if it Invid's nearby, they have senses to pick up protoculture. Anyone oh. other than Invid using protoculture is dead. So oh. once you get that tech and you see an Invid coming, it is a run for the portal. Now, if you shut the, the mecha or the energy weapon off and hide it, the Invid mostly will fly by, especially if you cover up the cyclone with whatever. Oh, Trav, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the NPCs. In one of the games I was playing, we had the the really awesome, the player characters have bitten off more than they can chew, and they're going to I'm going to do a TPK if they don't get some help. Really awesome NPCs, which was a crusty crew of Southern Cross soldiers. And the advantage that the Southern Cross has over over the RDF is their equipment doesn't use protoculture. Yeah, that's right. All theirs is fusion reactors. Yeah, because... So they had... team of the tactical core with their fusion powered battleoids using GU11s who were mopping up invid in an area quietly well quietly i mean you're still it's a war zone but i mean to the invid they're mostly invisible because okay we sense motion but it's not of anything that is going to ping on us and so yeah they could still fight it but i mean it's just not they're not going to be they're not going to be, oh my God, we have to beat it down because it's protoculture. It's, well, yeah, they're shooting at us and it hurts. Kill them. Right, but they can't target it. The Invid don't know what to do when their systems don't automatically track it. There's this thing, 
it's shooting at me. They don't know how to basically use the iron sights when the scope is broken. As I said, the Invent have a special sense. Even even the little peon ones, they have a special sense to detect active protoculture. It's so they can hunt down other races that that use it, which would be the humans, the Robotech Masters or Tyrolians as they're known, and the Zentradi. Of course, the Zentradi and the Tyrolians, they kill on sight automatically. They have recognition. They see the body armor or the mecha. It's it's on. It's a racial hatred bonus. It is. It's a racial hatred ingrained genetically because of the Regis. Because, okay, uh, a little more, I'll, I'll do this Reader's Digest. The Regis was, I guess, emotionally seduced by a young Robotech scientist named Zor. And his Robotech master superiors told them, told him basically, get on her good side and get this stuff. So basically, he used her. And he felt bad about it afterwards and was killed trying to get off the world. And so the Robotech masters tried to use Zor's memories to get what else he got before he sent the SDF one off to earth. Hey guys, it's starship tangent here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a little background on the, on the Robotechnology. So in Trav's defense, it makes for a really great setting. It's a very rich setting. And if your players keep going to too many worlds, that are just a variation on lower tech than Earth Prime. This can shake them up. No, I love the setting, and actually, when um when when Trav brought it up today during the discussions on on uh, Facebook, I was all about it. I really liked it. I, I actually really wanted to see where he was going with this because I was just like, I just could not imagine getting IDET people involved in the in the Robotech universe o- only because you know it's it's all about mecha and they're not going to have any skill in that and how are they going to what are they going to do and, and I can totally see it now and it's it's uh, I think it would make for some really awesome adventures and I think if you really want to do your late campaign with a lot of this stuff this would be a really good way to go late campaign it's a variation on two themes. It's either a high-tech war or an insurgency. Or you can play it as a very high-end cloak and dagger spycraft mission. Yeah, yeah. No, I dig it. I'm, I'm down with it. It's, it's nice. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.